Have you ever had an experience in your life that was hard, but in the end was well worth it? As I was thinking about this and, and thinking about, okay, what do I say as opening illustration, I can only think of, and of num- numerous examples, going back to my time in France. For those of you who don't know, my junior year of college from August of 2004 to July, end of July 2005, I spent uh, a year in France. Uh, went there to study at the uh, Bible Institute in the May. Uh, which is a suburb of Paris, and I went there because at, my, at Pillsbury there was a couple options for your junior year. Well, there was one option, really, really and that was to go to Peru, which uh, Jenny Bjorkwist did last year. And to be honest with you, I hated Spanish. I had a bad experience with Spanish in high school, and I didn't want to do it again. And I felt God at that time was leading me to France, so I thought, well, hey, maybe I can do what they're doing in Peru in France. And God worked all out, out all the details. And so I went to France for a year. And uh, that was one of the most life-changing things for me, but it was one of the most hard things for me. Because I went there not knowing a single word of French. I went down there knowing none of the culture. I went through all the things that you go through. I went through culture shock. I went through language difficulties. I went through some tough times. I went through difficulties that um, were just hard to get through, and I didn't know if I was going to survive. I thought, you know, maybe I should just pack up and go home. But as I, as I considered that, and after I came back during my senior year of college, I made a presentation for the chapel one time, and it just, I put it in the title of the, the presentation, A Year with God in France. And I made that statement, as I'll make to you today, if God had not been with me, David Fish would have packed up and went home. Because no matter how difficult it was and how challenging it was, and it was challenging, God was still with me. And at the end, it was a better, it was, it was a most pleasant experience despite the difficulty. And I'm a better man today because of it. My friends there, I again thought that that was going to be a future field of, of ministry for me. God closed that door, brought me here. But that still is my heart, to, to reach out to even French people and to um, see that land that's just spiritually dark uh, turned around for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But that would have not happened had I stayed home, had I not gone. And maybe you can think of in your lives diff- times of difficulty that you went through were, that were unpleasant, that were not beneficial to you, but you went through them anyway. And at the end, you came out a better person, a better believer, a better husband, a better wife, a better mother because of them. So we come to the beginning of our study in the book of Hebrews and find ourselves facing a hard task ahead of us. Some commentators have made the note that Hebrews is the second most difficult book to interpret in the New Testament. Revelation being the first. Now some of you are saying, well, pastor, you're pretty new and you're going to this and you're going to... We're going to survive this one? Well, we will. But I think in the end, we'll find that what we will glean from the hardship will make it well worth our time and effort. So in light of that, we need to consider some key facts about the book that will help us consider God's Word in Hebrews that's my challenge to you this morning. As we, we're just going to take an introductory look at the book, going over some context things, looking at an outline, 
And then I'll have four encouragements for you to consider as we begin. What are some context things here we need to talk about? First, author. The author is anonymous. It's not like a, a book of the Bible like you have like Luke or Philemon. You know, Paul, prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. There's no introduction. He just, the author feels the need to jump right in and talk about different things. So the author is anonymous. We're not sure. There's been several names that have been postulated as possibilities. Paul being one of them. That's probably been the most traditional popular version. And there are arguments for either one, and either of these authors. Apollos is another. And Luke has been considered. If you remember from Acts, Priscilla and Aquila, they are considered as possible authors. Barnabas and Timothy is considered an author. And we'll get to the reason why these people are considered here in a moment. But I think we can say with the early church father origin, quote, but who wrote the epistle in truth? God knows, unquote. So no matter who we think wrote the book of Hebrews, God wrote it. And that's what matters. We waste time speculating about the human author when we really should consider the divine author. So, God wrote it. Who, who the human author was, we have no clue. All right. Date. Uh, if you go back to, and we'll, we'll flip around a lot in the book of Hebrews this morning as we go through the message, but Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23 gives us a little clue. It says, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. So we're looking probably about 50 to 70 A.D. Somewhere, I know that's kind of a broad statement others kind of narrow it down to 62 64 or 60 to 60 60 to 70 AD so it's kind of in that framework time where uh, the book was written so we know that because Timothy is still alive and so that's kind of where we nail it down another difficulty though in in, in talking about is recipients uh, there are several theories theories about the recipients of the book and it, it all stems from, okay, a lack of introduction and an addressee of the book. You know, again, we, we normally have, uh, for example, going back to the book of Titus, where Titus, Paul is writing to Titus, it says in verse 4, to Titus, a true son in our common faith. You know who it's written to. But here we don't really have that. So we're kind of left guessing who the recipients of the book are. And there are three general possibilities. One, it's neither Jewish Christians Two, it's Gentile Christians, or it's a blend of the two people groups. And there are arguments that are valid for both sides of the issue, but I think we can, you consider context, you consider the, the subject matter. It appears that the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians based upon the rhetoric that's used and the topics that are discussed. We'll find a lot of temple uh, items that are mentioned and temple Judaistic literature that is mentioned and so that kind of leads us to uh, a understanding of jewishness to the book that has that flavor there so it's jewish christians who are being written to and most likely they're suffering for leaving judaism and are considering going back we also need to consider the genre for that for for you book book people that's the that's the the type of literature that's used and again, the book is so complex, it's tough to nail it down. Hebrews has a flavor of a letter, but it lacks the intro and the conclusion. 
You don't have a dear so-and-so and and in conclusion, this and this and this. You don't have that. Um, You can find the marks of an epistle. There's doctrine here. There's arguments here. You can also find the, the, the flavor of a commentary as multiple Old Testament passages are used and symbolism is discussed. So it's tough to really nail it down. But I think in just a general way, it's best to see this book as a letter designed to be read out loud so that its hearers may understand its arguments and its encouragement. So it's a letter with doctrine meant to be read aloud and understood. Okay, so that kind of, it's an epistle letter, it's all those nailed into one. Then what is the theme of Hebrews? The theme, mentioned it a little bit already. But the theme of the book is tied to the argument and audience. So whenever you study a book of the Bible, you're going to look at the, the content, right? You're going to see, okay, what is being discussed? Who is the audience? And since the audience is, is viewed as a Jewish audience, Jewish Christians, and much of the arguments of the author surround Christ, the theme of the book is the supremacy of Christ to all things, whether physical or spiritual. And then we'll see that as we continue on, even, even going next week, we read the first four verses of chapter 1. We'll get into those next week where, where Christ is supreme to the angels. And the, the whole book kind of flows from that thought of, of the supremacy of Christ. But yet the complexity of the argument of the book is tough to navigate as well. The, the, the author of Hebrews goes from one Old Testament passage to another, and then he'll stop, and he'll jump to a, a direct address to the, to the recipients. He'll talk to them for a few minutes. And then he goes back. He talks about Christ. And then he goes back and forth, back and forth. He talks about faith and all of these things. So it's, it's kind of get easy to get lost in the argumentation of the book. But when we see it through the major three, theme of the supremacy of Christ, things become clear. He's arguing that Christ is supreme. And in light of that truth, we can live by faith in Him regardless of what happens. Aren't you thankful that Christ is supreme to all things? That no matter what happens, He's still in control. He is supreme. There are also several major sub-themes to the book. Endurance is a major sub-theme in the book of Hebrews. Running the race, we'll see that in chapter 12. Not giving up in regards to your faith. Rest is also Noticed in the book of Hebrews, the idea of rest is prominent. Faith, obviously, chapters 11 and 12, the hall of faith. And then what do we do in the light of faith? Running the race of faith. And also warnings against falling away. We'll find those as well. If you jump down to chapter 2, verse 1, the author says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So there's that warning there as well. And something I want us to consider, and I failed to put this in the, in the, the PowerPoint, but please, as we, as we go through this, remember the importance of the context as we study the book of Hebrews. It'll seem to you as we, we muddle through that there's just so much going on here, there's so much complexity that's easy to get lost in the theme. So as we engage in the study, remember the context, remember the theme that Christ is supreme. And though we may find some things difficult to understand, that doesn't take away from His supremacy. 
and that it may be hard for us to look at and figure out, we still can acknowledge that Christ is supreme. That whatever happens here is underneath His control. And I can, we can rest in that. We can have faith. We can endure. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit more different for you. You also got a third sheet of paper, a second sheet of paper in your, your bulletins this morning. I would invite you to take that out. Okay? This is my outline of the book. Now, it's, it's Pastor David's outline. It's nothing inspired. Okay? So I've got about 12, actually, no, it's not 12. It's 13. 13 different uh, sections for you of main points uh, to them. We're not going to go through each of one of them, but you can see them as they're, they're uh, listed out for you. The Christ is greater than angels. And so the, the author goes through that. He goes, he's greater than Moses. Then he'll stop in chapter 4 and, and give an encouragement. Then he goes back. He's greater than the priesthood. Then he goes back. Encouragement. Grow in your faith. Point five. And then he keeps going a little bit encouraged. Hope in Jesus. Then he goes back. Uh, point seven. Christ is our, our new high priest. Chapter 7 through chapter 8, verse 6. Then he talks about the new covenant in chapters 8, 7 through 10, verse 18. Then he goes back to encouragement in chapters uh, 10, 19 through 39, which Dave read this morning. Boldly live out your faith. Keeps going the encouragement. Consider those who have lived by faith. The Hall of Faith, chapter 11. Chapter 12, endure the race of faith. And then he gets down to some final encouragements and a benediction. So, take it for what it's worth. Uh, That's the outline of the book. Uh, Hopefully that helps you see some of the greater points there. And now we come to some encouragements. As you consider the book, as we consider them, I would like us to have these four encouragements in mind as we embark on this text. The first one, I would encourage you to consider is look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to this, what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He is worth more than anything this world has to offer. No religion, not Judaism, not Buddhism, not Catholicism, not any other type of religion has anything more than Jesus Christ to offer. And though Moses is still today highly revered by the Jewish nation, you can, you can see it. Uh, if you've been to Israel, you know Moses is, is still held in high authority. His word is still followed. It's considered, it is law there. Yet the author of Hebrews lays out that Christ is supreme to Moses. So consider him. He's worth more than anything. As we, we sang this morning, He is more precious than silver, more costly than gold, more beautiful than diamonds. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, has more to offer to you than anything this world or religion has to offer. He's also the motivation for your faith. Jump over to chapter 12, verse 2. Let me read verse 1 just to pick up context. Therefore also, we are, since we are so surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. 
the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He has run the race. He's been faithful. And again, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself as we delve delve into this deeper when when we get to it. But He has run a faithful race. And the reason the, the author puts that word there is so that you can look to Him. And know that you too can run a faithful race. One does not need any more motivation than Christ Himself. Looking unto Jesus. Jump down to verse 3. For consider Him who endured such hostilities from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He is your encourager when you face opposition for your faith. Consider Him. Look to Him. We know from the Gospels that He encountered much opposition, even from His own family. And His example is our pattern for success when we face conflict for our faith. We don't look to ourselves. We don't look to a particular conflict book. We consider Christ and how He was able to overcome the opposition in His life. And that leads me to ask a question this morning. Do you make a regular habit of looking to Jesus? Well, we'll see this in Hebrews, but as we think about our faith, a lot of times we, we take arms up and we get in, a, in, a, in such a brawl over certain things that we forget to look to Jesus. We get so encouraged by these things and, and discouraged by certain things that we, we tend to look inside ourselves when the, the, the book of Hebrews, the author says, look to Jesus. You know, with the, the mask thing and the coronavirus and all those different things, it's been sad to see a lot of Christians arguing about those things and not looking to Jesus. Our hope, our solid foundation is not in a government, it's not in the CDC, it's not in any medical doctor, it's in Jesus. Let's look to Him. I need to look to Him. As a, as a dad of two young boys who finds it frustrating at times when my sons don't obey, but that's just how they are and just I need to deal with it and be loving and compassionate to them. I need to look to Jesus. You as, and some of you in your older stages of life and, and things don't work as well as they once did. Things are just, and it's frustrating to you. You don't know how you're going to get over it. Look to Jesus. You're in your work and you're in your, in your job and you're frustrated. You don't know how you're going to make it through. You just, you're just so wound up. Look to Jesus. He is the author and finisher of your faith. And He is the one who will get you through that situation, that trial, that struggle. Not yourself, not this church. It's Him alone. Do you regularly look to Jesus? Second encouragement. I would, I would point you to this morning from the book of Hebrews is do not neglect the Old Testament. Do not neglect the Old Testament. Jump back to chapter 1. Jump down to verses 8 and 9. But to the Son He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? 
The Old Testament is essential to understanding the person and work of Christ. There's other references I could read, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> but to one testified in a certain place, saying, verse 6, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. Verse 8, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. You cannot have the Jesus of the New Testament without the Old Testament. Some have said that the Old Testament is the foundation for the New. And I agree with that statement. But I think there are some who have neglected the Old Testament favoring the New. And as, as someone who is passionate about the Old Testament, passionate about language study, I love Hebrew, I love studying it, don't neglect the Old Testament. The reason we have the book of Hebrews, the reason we have the New Testament, is because of the Old Testament. It's because of the prophets, it's because of the law, it's because of the Psalms that we have the Old Testament. It is something that I hope you, you take time to engage in in your personal devotional time, or maybe you're maybe you're a break at work, read the Old Testament. It is not something that is just for the Jewish people. It's for us too. There is value there. There is comfort there. There is wisdom there. Do not neglect the Old Testament. It contains encouragement for present day experiences. Jump to chapter 3, verse 7-11. through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of, of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts and have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Consider the Old Testament, the impact there. The Christians who are reading this are considering their suffering in light of what's going on around them. And the author is using this quote to point from the Old Testament to point them back to what happened to the nation of Israel in the wilderness. How they failed God. And they failed to obey and follow through. And so did not enter into God's rest. And that's a warning to them and to us today to make sure that we're firm to the end. Many Christians think the Old Testament doesn't apply but this is not true. The Old Testament contains vital truths that are most applicable for today. Now, some of the laws, the, the, the laws of, of harvest and everything that were for the Jews, those are for them. Those are what we call time-bound. But there are other principles, general principles, that are most encouraging and most applicable for us today. So that leads me to ask this morning, do you value the Old Testament? Do you value what God wrote in His Word thousands years of years ago, specifically for the Jewish nation, but generally for us? There is value in the Old Testament. I can't tell you how many times I've opened up, for example, the book of Psalms and read Comfort, where the psalmist says, Lord, You are my refuge, my shelter, my stronghold. That's in the Old Testament. That's not the new, that's the old. Or you read in the, the prophets about Jesus Christ and, and, and looking forward as the prophets were, looking forward to Him coming, the encouragement there. Maybe you've opened up and you read Proverbs. 
the wisdom literature that points to faithful obedience to God's Word that will result in favor from God. Do you value the Old Testament? I can pretty much guarantee when you're done with the book of Hebrews, if you haven't, you will. Because of the the, the huge amount of references that are in there. Do not neglect the Old Testament. Third encouragement I have for you is to be ready to grow in your faith. Be ready to grow in your faith. Jump to chapter 5, verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11. This is kind of a warning slash encouragement. Let me read uh, verses 11 through 14. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And then chapter 6 talks about maturing in the faith, growing in the faith. The warning there is we must not settle for spiritual immaturity. We cannot come to the study in the book of Hebrews and not leave changed. If you leave unchanged, you haven't grown. I mean, I could tell you within the first chapter, within the first message, you're going to grow. I hope you're going to grow thinking about who Christ is and how God has revealed Him. Too many Christians today settle for just a bare knowledge of God's Word, and instead the book of Hebrews points us to a deeper knowledge. For example, going back to chapter 6, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And he talks about all these different doctrines and practices that we need to grow in our depth of understanding and practice. Spiritual immaturity is not for those who believe. We are to be spiritually mature. Why? Because, number two, we must grow in our faith because of the race that is before us. Going again to chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness, the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful, and let's consider one another in order to provoke, to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And he continues on through the next couple chapters talking about the faith race. Why? Because our faith influences our life, doesn't it? Faith influences life. If we're not growing in our faith, then most assuredly our lives will not be what God intends. If you and I are not growing in our faith, deepening our knowledge of Christ and His Word. Now, now this does not mean that you need to have an academic's understanding of God's Word. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I don't think the Scripture is talking about. But it's a deepening understanding of the Word of God, growing in your faith, so that when life throws you a couple curveballs, You don't fall down. You get back up. Your faith influences your life. And if you have a weak faith, you'll have a weak life. 
But if you have a strong faith, you have a strong life, and be what God intends for you to be. So that leads me to ask as well, are you ready to grow in your faith? Or are you satisfied where you are? Are you ready to grow? Are you, are you, are you and, and some of you are saying, well, pastor, you're pretty, you're scaring me. It's kind of like, how much growing am I going to do? I don't know. You could grow a little bit, or you could grow a lot. But the book of Hebrews clearly points out that we are not to be satisfied with where we are at now. We are supposed to grow. We're supposed to be more like Christ in words and actions. We're supposed to grow in our faith, trusting in Him for all things. We cannot come to the book of Hebrews and just take a lazy attitude towards it. We, me, I have to come to the book and realize what God has for me, and I have to grow. I have to be willing to stretch myself understanding the Word of God and who Christ is so that it changes my life from the inside out. Are you willing to do the same? Because if you're not committed to growing spiritually, it won't happen. And what will happen here in the book of Hebrews will just go over your head. Are you ready to grow in your faith? Last encouragement I have for us is that we praise the God who wrote the book of Hebrews. Let me read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 again. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had made Him by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. God revealed His plan through His Son. Jesus is the pinnacle of God's revelation to us. And we will see in this book how really important Jesus is. And this does not happen without God. The book of Hebrews does not happen without God. It does not get placed in the canon without God. It is all about God. Praise God for the book of Hebrews. He's invested in you. As you grow in your faith, jump back to 12. I'm having you jump a lot today. Jump back to 12, 12, verse 7. God revealed His plan through His Son, but He's also invested in you. He needs to be praised for that. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? We'll get into this. God disciplines us as His children. That's, That's love. That's purposeful. God would not write this book without a purpose. Well, the ultimate purpose is to describe for us the supremacy of Christ. God wrote it to us to encourage us in our faith. Again, as, as we work through the book, I hope you come out encouraged. I hope you come out gleaning something maybe every week, maybe every couple weeks, where you can take and use in your own life. God wrote this to you and I to encourage us. God is not this angry God just sitting up and, well, why don't they get this? No. God wrote this book to encourage us to be more like Him, to grow in our faith. God is invested in you. God wants you to grow. God has your good in mind. Therefore, we can praise Him for writing this book. 
He desires also that our our praise, he desires our praise that his name may be glorified. Jump to the end of chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is in consuming fire. Jump over one chapter to chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continue to offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name to praise God. That is the ultimate goal for us as believers. And this book encourages us to that end so that we may continually offer the sacrifice of praise to him. So as we go through the book of Hebrews, can I ask a question? Will his praise be your ultimate goal? You know, a lot of times we approach different book studies and different uh, verses in the Bible thinking, well, what can I get out of this? And that's fair. There's nothing wrong with that. What can I learn? What can I glean from my life? There's nothing wrong with that. But whether we're in the book of Hebrews or whether we've been in the book of Ephesians or what, what other verse of Scripture we're in, we always must desire ultimately to praise God. Will that be your goal as we go through this book? Will it be your goal to to praise the name of the one who wrote the book of Hebrews for your encouragement, laying out his plan in Jesus Christ so that his name may be praised forever? Will you and I come out at at the end of the study, maybe in the middle, maybe in the beginning, I don't know, praising his name for what he has done and is doing in our lives? Are we going to be silent? Are we just going to look at the book of Hebrews and think, well, you know, that's nice, and I'll just move on? Well, it can't be the case. When you and I are looking at the book, may we praise His name for writing it, for putting in it, in it things that are for us so that we can leave every time praising His name, uplifting it, glorifying it for everyone to hear. Will you praise His name for the book of Hebrews being your ultimate goal, His praise? The book of Hebrews has much to offer. And as we consider its pages in the coming weeks and months, it won't take a year, trust me, it won't take a year, but the weeks and months, we will find much to ponder. God has so much to offer in this book. We're going to look at Christ, who He is. We're going to appreciate, I hope, the Old Testament more. I know I will. We're going to hopefully grow in our faith, deepening the roots of our faith, and ultimately praising His name so that in the end, we will be more like Christ than when we began. That's my goal. When we we start a book study or we start any type of study, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, whatever it might be, my goal is that we be more like Christ, that we will not be the same as we were at the beginning. May that be our prayer as our journey through the book of Hebrews begins, that we would be more like Christ.